0: Welcome to nighttime. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute. The next half hour we hope to talk calmly about life issues, things that the scriptures are talking about, the truth that God gives to us to apply to our lives. I like this half hour because it's not a half hour of argumentation or debate. I'm hoping you're sitting somewhere quietly, just thinking through some of the things that we're talking about and allowing yourself the privilege of thinking. And if you have a question, I hope you open the Bible and go look for the answer. Because I, like you, am just another person in life. Growing and developing and becoming what God wants me to become, and I'm not sure I have all the answers. In fact, I'm sure I don't have all the answers. One of the scary things any teacher faces is the fact that we continually grow and change as we learn more. There may be things that I said 10 years ago that I found out really aren't true. And yet when I said them, I believed that they actually were and that they were significant enough to say. You see, every human being that ever walked the planet is in a growth process. We should never put our teachers in a place where we think they know everything, where whatever they say is absolute gospel. Certainly, I would say things that I am convinced are true today. But I'm also old enough to know that if God allows me another year or two when I continue to study and read and develop, that I may learn some more and I may change what I think. In fact, one of the hallmarks of Christianity is growth. And one of the absolute necessities of growth is change. There is no possible way for you to grow today and stay the same. So if you're trying to grow in your faith, if that's a phrase you've used, or you're trying to grow spiritually, or you're trying to grow in Christ, or whatever the phrase is you might use, You might as well just change that. I need to change. There's something in my life that will change if I grow. So what is it that will change? And that's what you've got to ask yourself. Tonight I want to highlight again one of my favorite authors, V. Raymond Edmond. And one of my favorite devotional books is The Delights of Life that V. Raymond Edmond wrote. It's no longer published and if you have a copy of it, good for you. And if not... Perhaps you can find a used one somewhere. The hardback copies of that particular book are getting more and more expensive, but there are some softback copies out there that might be available to you. I have a couple copies, and I keep them in different places, and I love rereading the devotionals that Edmund put forth. I want to start uh, tonight by reading Psalm 84 as the devotional that he entitles Dependence is about Psalm 84. So let me read the whole psalm to you, if I may. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Once again, that's Psalm 84. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, according to the King James in that last verse. V. Raymond Edmond says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 was Oliver Cromwell's favorite text. And I want to read to you what V. Raymond Edmond said about Oliver Cromwell. By every human standard, Cromwell was a man of stamina, with strength of convictions and with the courage needed for desperate days. He made no profession of being skilled in statecraft, military, science, or diplomacy, and felt inwardly entirely inadequate for the responsibilities thrust upon him, and yet by the strength promised in the scriptures that he was able to prosecute the cause of the commonwealth against the royalists. He guided England through a difficult period of storm and stress, and with his roundheads tumbled the divine right of kings into the dust it deserved. With dangers and desperate situations in public life and with deep personal sorrows within his own household, Cromwell was enabled by strength from above to complete his task. His critics contemptuously contended that he committed every military blunder in the books, but he never lost a battle. He was strengthened by the Lord of Battles. The 84th Psalm is one of the happiest portions of God's word. When the Moravian brethren were in a sore distress, they chose it as their personal possession. Upon fleeing from bitter and pitiless persecution in their homeland of Bohemia and Moravia, they settled on the estate of earnest and godly German Count von Zizerdorf. Out of the forest, they carved a new home for themselves, calling it Heron Hut, the tent of the Lord. And on the cornerstone of the first building they inscribed with joy, Psalm 84.3, the oppressed and the disposed had found the Lord to be their strong tower of refuge. Three times in this rather brief psalm is the term blessed, used in verse 4, 5, and 12. Out of longing for the courts of the Lord and in deep desire for the strength to be used in God's service, the psalmist learned what Nehemiah afterward declared, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. I'm going to pause there reading, V. Raymond Edmund and ask, where does your strength come from? Does your strength come from your strength, your physical strength, your financial strength, your status in the world. You know, there are so many people who start out uh, ministries and in life, and they're, they're very, very inadequate in what they do, and they know that. So they start out on their knees because they're dependent upon God and what he does in their life, and they know that. And God does some great things. And in the process, They get some resources, and they begin to trust the resources more than God. Is there ever a time where you put your trust in resources? Is there ever a time you put your trust in just medicine instead of God? Is there ever a time where you put your trust in an army or a shelter? Is there ever a time where you put your trust in your finances? Is there ever a time where you've put your trust in another human being to make sure that you're okay? You will find in all those cases that at times the trust is in vain. Oh, it's not that they can't help, but the trust that you and I have and that we desire so much to have should be in God alone. It's not that we don't use resources, money, or shelters, or anything else. It's that we understand we don't trust in them. They might be something that we can use, and we can be glad that God has given them to us. But in the end, we trust God. I remember when my wife was going through cancer surgery and cancer treatments. There was no way that I was trusting the surgeon or the cancer treatment to make her okay. I was on my knees to my Heavenly Father. I trusted Him. No matter what He did, I knew it was going to be right. But I also understood my frailty. I understood that there's not a surgeon or a treatment that could adequately take care of my wife. Oh, God could use those things. And I was very thankful that the surgeon went to medical school and learned what she needed to do to take care of my wife. And I told the surgeon that. But in the end, our hope doesn't come from surgery. And our hope doesn't come from medicine. It comes from God. My hope in this world does not come from my resources. It doesn't come from my human ability to think. Have you ever watched somebody get older and begin to suffer of Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's or something that begins to control their body? There are so many that were so independent at one point in life that become extremely dependent as they get older. See, we seem to go through cycles in life where we come into the world and we're totally dependent and often if we live to be old enough, we leave the world and we're totally dependent. Perhaps the early and late stages in life we should learn from. Because when we're in the middle of our life, if we act like we're independent, we're fools. We're never independent. We are always dependent upon God. And we always need to understand that. Psalm 85 is a great psalm to read as we understand that the Lord of hosts is the one that we trust in, and we're blessed as we trust in him because he is the only one that can take the hand of the king and move it wherever he wants. The storms go where he tells them, or they're calmed. There's always provision for the child of God. I want to continue to read from B. Raymond Edmond, page 124 in The Delights of Life. It must be the Lord's strength, not ours. For strength that is our own can prove to be our undoing. When King Asa was young and inexperienced and beset with a vast host of Ethiopians, he won a great victory because of his weakness. He prayed, Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. You can find that in 2 Chronicles 14.11. Years later, when he was strong and again in danger of invasion from abroad, he relied on the king of Syria rather than upon the Lord. This was to his own undoing, 2 Chronicles 16. When King Uzziah was young and from a military point of view relatively weak, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord... God made him to prosper. Second Chronicles twenty six five. His biography in the Bible, however, continues. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Let me read that again. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to destruction. Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen. Asa and Uzziah should have remembered. Samuel's reminder to Saul, the first king of Israel When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. 1 Samuel 15 17. When Saul was strong, he went his own way, the broad way that leads to destruction. B. and Edmund is focusing on young people who started their journey, understanding that they were young and understanding that they were dependent. And somewhere along the way, they lost that. There's a sweetness about being dependent upon God. There's a blessedness about being dependent upon God. God is the only one that can prove himself faithful. Somewhere in the journey of life, we lose that. Have you lost that? Have you lost your dependency upon God because you're spending... A majority of you are trying trying to figure out how you can be dependent upon yourself. Are we, in the United States of America, turning into the rich fool? Where we build bigger barns to hold all of our things so that we can trust the things that we have. So that in the future, we don't have to answer to anybody. You know, the real problem with that is, in the future, you will answer to God. You will answer to him. There's no way not to. So in the future, anything that keeps you from him, anything that keeps you from trusting him, anything that keeps you from your relationship with him is going to be something you wish you didn't have in your life. Some of you that are listening have some tremendous resource. Do you trust that resource to take care of you? You will find that the resource in your life is not trustworthy. There's something wonderful about being young. David, the shepherd boy. Surprised, no doubt, that he was going to be picked as king. But then you get to be king. And after a while, you start being impressed with your own self. That's not hard to do. But it's always evil. There are always things out there that are far bigger than you and I can handle and it's okay. Those things are things that we need to address in our life. Name them before God and start making a plan to make sure that we don't trust what shouldn't be trusted. Perhaps if you're struggling with trusting the resources that you've garnered, maybe you need to give those resources away. You'd be far happier if you're in a position to trust God than money. Perhaps you're being self-indulgent and wanting to be comfortable all the time and just live in a way that's all about you, and you're trusting your, your comfort and your whatever it is that gets you there. Perhaps it's time to realize that we don't live for ourselves, we don't put our trust in ourselves, we don't put our trust in our ability to make ourselves comfortable. In life, God is the only one that's worthy of our trust. These young leaders in the Bible that I read about lost that idea. They lost it and they were proven in their older age to be wrong because they trusted in armies. They trusted in their own wisdom. They trusted in their own strength. The older I get, the more I'm realizing I can't trust in those things. They fail, but God will never fail. V. Raymond Edmond goes on in page 125, saying, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, sings the psalmist. He is happy inwardly and outwardly, because irrespective of life's circumstances, he has found the most high to be his source of stamina and steadiness. Blessed are they who dwell in my house, he had declared. For he understood with Moses that the Lord has been our dwelling place in all generations. Psalm 91. This same wonderful truth of covering of God's wing over his own, which makes their shelter complete, is taught in the familiar 91st Psalm. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall be no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh to thy dwelling. It's Psalm 91, 1, 2, 9, and 10. If himself Moses was a man strong in character and courage, until he fled into the weakness from Egypt. But in the long years of exile in the desert of the Sinai, he learned to make God his dwelling place, so that, despite inward fears and trepidation, he could face the scorn and wrath of Pharaoh and contemplating the failures of his people in long wilderness journey, always knowing the Lord's promise, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest, Exodus 33:14. When you think of Moses, you begin to really grasp some of the ideas of what has to happen to somebody before God can even use them. There's always a training period that takes place. And certainly Moses was somebody who was trained. But not only is there a training period, there's another period that has to train you that you don't trust your training. I know that sounds odd. But let's take a look at Moses. Moses's mom was somebody who loved God and gave birth to Moses. She did whatever she needed to to preserve Moses's life. She was unlike the modern ladies in the United States of America today who are crying about wanting to kill their babies because of inconvenience. Moses was somebody who would be inconvenient to his mother. But she took him and wrapped him in a basket and put him in a river and had his sister watch him. Eventually, we know what happens. Pharaoh's daughter came and saw him. And before you know it, Moses is being raised as a son of Pharaoh. So we're looking at the training that he's getting for about 40 years. It's pretty good training. As far as leadership in that particular world, as far as government, the training was the best, the food was the best, he was taken care of. If there was great medical care, he was experiencing that. But then something happened where he began to do some things where God needed to move him from his high position to a low position. Now I'm speculating, perhaps Moses was one who began to think in terms of his position as his strength, his knowledge, his food, his health, his physique. Perhaps he was thinking all those things was what he could trust in. But then all of a sudden he got into a fight and killed a man and the rumor got out that he did that or not rumor, a gossip got out and he fled to the backside of the desert where he became a shepherd for 40 years. You talk about a contrast in life. He was in a castle, a palace, or whatever you want to call it. He had everything that he needed. His, he would just speak and things would be taken care of. He was taken care of in every way, shape, or form. But God had to move him to a place where he was sitting on the backside of a desert, taking care of sheep for 40 years. Do you realize that the training was 40 years and the humbling was 40 years? That's 80 years. You know, I think that all of us have to balance the idea of being trained and being humbled. If at any point you start trusting in your training, God is going to need to put you in a humbling situation because your training is not what changes people. It's God who changes people, and he uses you. He uses me. He uses donkeys. You see, any time we start getting too big of a head, God can show us that he can use anything to speak for him. It's not my ability. It's God using me that makes anything work. Well, Moses is somebody that we look at and we begin to understand what happened. And that's a pattern, I think, for all of us to look at and ask God, where are we on that scale? Because we were born helpless from a mom and a dad who chose to give us life. They chose not to kill us in the womb. And God has given us life, and he's trained us. What have we done with our training? Have we adulterated the training itself by using it to go away from God? Does God need to put us in a place where we're humbled again so that we come to him as we should? Moses is a great example of that, and eventually when God did come and speak to Moses, he was totally not confident in his own ability, right in the perfect place where he could be used of God. God even had to remind him that he made his mouth, that he's the one that he needs to depend on. And when Moses got that again straightened out in his life, he began to lead. And you and I could say that Moses arguably may be the greatest leader of all time. Can you imagine what Moses was thinking when he went to Pharaoh the first time and told him to let the people go? He understood Pharaoh's power. See, he had that educational side. He wasn't really depending upon his verbiage because he already said he couldn't speak. He had to take Aaron with him. He took and and God told him, you know, you throw that rod down, it'll it'll prove to the king that you're listening to me because it'll be turned into a snake. But then all the magicians threw their rods down and they turned into snakes. I think Moses had one experience after another where he just had to listen to God and know that in the end, God would be the victor. So then there were plagues, one after another, and the magicians could imitate those plagues. And God allowed Satan to enable those magicians to do that temporarily. But eventually the magicians couldn't do it anymore. And Moses, as he spoke to the pharaoh, was demonstrating God's power. He wasn't demonstrating Moses' power. He was demonstrating God's power. No longer were the magicians able to keep up with him, and no longer was anybody else in the same category. It wasn't Moses that was powerful. It's God that's powerful, and Moses was able to point to God and tell Pharaoh, here's God's plan." So you either listen to God's plan or you lose. That's powerful stuff. I look at Moses as he was with the people on the edge of the Red Sea. and Pharaoh's army is coming behind him. And he says something there that catches my eye when he talks to the people. He said, do you see Pharaoh's army over there? It's kind of like, take a look at him. Now, this is the strongest army in the world at that time. And Moses says, take a look at him, because you're never going to see him again. That was somebody who was demonstrating what it looks like to trust in God. There was no possible way that they could even get out of that situation. The people weren't stronger than Pharaoh's army. They couldn't beat Pharaoh's army. They couldn't do anything against Pharaoh's army. Not only that, they were backed up against the Red Sea. They were sitting ducks. And Moses, in his confidence, said, take a look at them. You're not going to see them again. And all of a sudden, God opened the Red Sea. And the children of Israel passed across on that Red Sea floor on dry ground. And we know the rest of the story that Pharaoh's army also thought they could follow and go in on dry ground. Only they all died. And what Moses said was true. Now we may think that's the biggest miracle, but then you think of what Moses was now in charge of, millions of people walking in a desert. How do you feed them? How do you clothe them? How do you get water for all of them? How do you deal with all the moaning and groaning and complaints? And How do you deal with the sun beating down on them all the time? Oh, the Red Sea and the ten plagues were huge. But there was always a challenge for Moses. The challenges were always bigger than Moses. They were always bigger than he could handle. He understood that. If you're walking with God today, I promise you that the challenges will always be bigger than you can handle. You need to be people who are humbled and come to God and trust in Him. You can't do that if you don't know Him. You can't do that if you're not in His family. Only those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, their hope is in Jesus, have entered God's family, and can rest in the fact that their Heavenly Father will guide and provide for them in the years to come. I hope your trust is not in your ability, in your mind, in your resources, in your family, in your nation, but in God alone. Thank you for spending the time with me tonight. Once again, I'm Dave Wager, and this program's called Night Time produced here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute. Good night for now.